How far would you go to bring yourself good fortune? Would you force yourself into positive thinking, visualizing good luck? Maybe try some feng shui? How about hip-pocketing a rabbit's foot? Or spending hours in a clover field, relentlessly scanning for the four-leafed variety? Maybe you'll do something crazier. How about burying yourself alive for 24 hours because you saw some Russians do it online whose whole world's changed forever for the better? Or maybe you decide to write a screenplay, find a little dough, hire a killer crew, an amazing cast, and try your luck at making a feature independent narrative film about a down-in-the-dump stoner who decides to bury himself for 24 hours and all hell breaks loose. Well, that's exactly what happened to our two guests, writer-director Paul Boyd and co-writer Kara Scobie-Brown of the movie I Challenger. And we are happy to share in their good fortunes on this episode of $5 Buzz. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of $5 Buzz. I am your host, Roger Mayer, out here in Los Angeles. And I am always joined, as, excuse me, as always, with my uh, compadres in crime. I've got Mr. Peter Liska here in Los Angeles as well. How are you doing, Pete? I'm fine, Roger. How are you this evening? Well, you know, I just got back uh, from a bout of COVID, so I'm feeling, or not COVID, however that goes, depending <laughs> on which test you're going to, but I felt like shit for an entire week. That's, I feel fantastic, been crawling up the walls. I was uh, starting to feel like Ray Milan in the movie The Lost Weekend. I see bugs crawling up and down the goddamn walls. How long were you uh, were you up in that up in your room for there? From Tuesday until Monday. Lots of, lots of then, movies, lots of movies, lots of shows. All I watched was movies and <laughs> and, and then uh, also out in Connecticut, we have our man with the plan of the microphone stand, Mr. George Kassar. How are you doing today, for, uh, my friend? I'm doing good, Roger. I'm glad you're feeling better. My wife actually had COVID, uh, so she was. Uh, down on the canvas for a little while i miraculously uh, avoided it or i didn't have any symptoms but uh, i'm glad you're doing better and that's all that matters well i appreciate it i appreciate it today i'm very excited that uh, i've got two people that not only do i know personally but uh two people that i'm, I'm proud to call friends actually uh on the show who have just recently completed and out as of january 11th have a motion picture called i challenger uh, one of them is the director, and, and, and the two of them both wrote the screenplay together. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to Mr. Uh, writer and director, Mr. Paul Boyd. How you doing, Paul? All right, Raj. Thank you. And the writer of the co-writer of the screenplay, uh, Kara Scobie-Brown. How you doing? Hi, Roger. I'm good. <laughs> so, guys, the you know, I, 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 you know, was there a little bit while this movie was being made, and known known you guys while the, during the whole process i'm actually in the picture as well uh when my compadre jared will be back living here soon in los angeles again oh great he's excited to see it as well um uh, the movie i challenger again came out on january 11th and it's an absurdist comedy stoner comedy that uh, has all these different mixtures of a little bit of fantasy a little bit of sci-fi a little bit of horror it's um, about a movie about a guy who buries himself for 24 hours after witnessing the success stories online, uh, particularly these Russians who mm -hmm. buries themselves for 24 hours and all of a sudden their luck changes for the better. 
So him and his compadre decide to do this and uh, things go awry, shall we say, more or less. I know he keeps moving. There's like a, there's like a ghostly right. emanation over there. Yeah, we almost have to be perfectly still. Yeah, like, don't move like, perfect. So uh, first off, congratulations on, I mean, you know, Kara and I did a movie. What, how, how much before did we do our movie? deep in the forest before you you guys did yours it was almost like six months right or well i think um no i think we didn't we shoot i challenge her first yeah yeah we shot that first oh you shot that first yeah but our film's still not out yet <laughs> yeah so that you guys shot this thing very quickly got it all wrapped up and um and now it's out january 11th out there on uh, amazon prime right and can you get it where else can you get it well, it's video on demand, so uh, like Apple Plus. Is there a That's Apple um, TV? Yeah, Google, um, YouTube, YouTube, Microsoft. Yeah. You get it everywhere. Yeah. Right now, it's video on demand, and so in you, three months, it'll be. Yeah, you have to. Streaming. Right now, there's a. It's four ninety nine to rent and nine ninety nine to buy, and then probably in ninety days, it'll it'll stream. It'll go up to a million dollars to rent. Yeah, it'll be a yeah. million dollars. So you better get it now. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. A million bucks to rent. Just to rent it. Just yeah. Amazing. So Paul, um, you know you uh, you're you're obviously not from the United States, uh, hence the uh, the accent. So why don't you tell us a little bit? I know that uh, you know you are you. This is your second feature as a film director, correct? Yep. And your first film was called Vicious Circle. That's right. And it's a film that I actually played at a film festival called right. the Downtown Film Festival in Los Angeles. And it won Best Director that year, I do believe. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that did, yeah it was a tiny little uh, Latino love story set in Venice. Uh, Paul Rodriguez Jr., the skater, actually was the star of that movie. There was a skate because it was a chess metaphor the whole film and he was a knight so his skateboard was his horse yeah. kind of love story romeo and juliet but yeah that was a that's coming out actually strike back who released i challenger are re-releasing vicious circle in the spring oh that's all that's excellent that's yeah. fantastic yeah that turned out and then before that you know you got a very um prestigious career making a shit ton of music videos you have done so many music videos yeah and, and big ones too i mean major when they, when they used to be big you know when, I, when, you don't have to tell me brother they, they, <laughs> when every, every video was a big video back yeah. in the day right yeah that's right and uh now they want you to do what you were doing for a million dollars for fifteen thousand. if 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 that ten thousand. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not interested there's 50 kids that will be willing to do it for free Straight out of college you know and that's great you know what it's in the hands of the people it really i mean it's 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 you know, artists aren't making any money anyway because no one's buying their music. So it, it's equilibrium, right? You know what I mean? In the past, they made a lot of money selling music or there was a lot of money running through the business. It's different now. Unless you're touring and selling merch, but yeah, it's changed the promotion. And I, I think it's a good thing because it was extravagant. I mean, it was yeah. really, it was the amount of money they used to spend. I mean, you know. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. Comparison oh. to what we made our film for, you yeah. know, we could have made three films Yeah. for one of the videos, you know. Yeah. Isn't hey, Paul. Fun? I was I was looking at. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, I was just looking at like right to accentuate what Roger said. You know, you have some very impressive names on this list, and one thing 
you know, one of my, I see you worked with a band I really like. I don't know if you remember working with them at all, Blind Melon. It looks like this is probably yeah. before we household names. But yeah. Pete and I really both enjoy their, I think it was their second album called Soup. And I yeah. think yeah. that uh, Shannon Hoon sadly died shortly after. But Pete and I listened to that yeah. record a lot. Yeah. I really like that. He, he was just, you know, like I went and they were, um, I met them because a friend of mine was friends with Guns N' Roses and they were they were connected to Guns N' Roses because Shannon was his cousin, Axel's cousin. So we ended up going out to shoot them in Seattle, but this was like 91, right mm -hmm. before the grunge movement mm -hmm. hit. And they were like right in the middle of that. So it was, that was, that was a great experience. You know, they, those were no budget videos, but you know, ones that really mattered, you know, and that was a real loss. That guy was, his voice was really When I met incredible. him, he was just a pothead. He was, that was it. He just smoked weed. You know what I mean? We were all like that. But, you know, the fame and everything got, you know. He was you. related to Axl Rose? I yeah, never knew that. I think he's his cousin, something like that. Wow. I know they they went to, they were from the same high school. Yeah, they must yeah. have been related. But they, they grew up in Indiana. And when, right. you know, that guy got done with high school, he showed up. And I guess, you know, at that point, Axl Rose... Uh, which could green light just about anybody and they yeah. but obviously the guy had a tremendous amount of talent it was yeah, and, and they signed to capital records and i remember when it was one of my first jobs for capital records back in the day and and dear old dad we did for like five thousand bucks or something it was nothing wow. super great film up in seattle and um and it just came from there you know and then it, it was interesting because I, you know, I did a few for them and then we were going to do No Rain and, and they ended up going and Samuel Bayer did it and, and fucking killed it. He made yeah, that. I, did with I mean, I remember yeah. I went into the label, I was all pissed. I'm like, you know, why didn't I do the video? And he said, well, take a look at this. And I was just jawing the floor. It you was, could not was, avoid that music video. No. Yeah, no, right? it was yeah. like the biggest. The bumblebee yeah. running around. Yeah, and it's sad that that that's yeah. kind of what most people remember him for. But Pete, you know, I think you. Oh would, yeah. Like we used to listen to that album, Soup. Like that album, um, Soup is an absolute masterpiece. I absolutely yeah. love it. I really like Great it. guys too, man. All really yeah. Nice group of guys. You know, it was a. Uh, it's like working. That's with cool. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't noisy enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and uh, Kara, you know, you uh, were a producer. We're producing for a while there. Electric Soup, right? Was the name of the company you well, had? Yeah, Electric Soup. Electric yeah. soup, and then you dropped out for a little while, huh? Sorry, what do you want to say? Um, I I also I I worked on like hundreds of music videos. That's, I, that's right. where I kind of uh, right, yeah. kept my teeth as well. And um, I'm surprised our paths never crossed. I know, me too. Because we all work with the same people. It's crazy, yeah. And I um yeah, and then for a while um and I I had been writing music video treatments. I always was a writer. And um, what's funny is that there were certain directors that I, you know, would would write for, and so I I did a lot of um, uh, rap videos, <laughs> a lot of rap videos, um, and I I just thought it was, you know, I'm like, well, if people knew, they only knew that this was written by a, you know, tattooed <laughs> tattooed Jewish girl. That's funny. You know, that's funny. Well, we met, we met on a video, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. But I was always intrigued by the concept of the videos because well, you know, that, a yeah. lot of times the general public probably thought that, you know, uh, the band came up with it, but obviously that's not the case. But uh, it was they do. Mm -hmm. but, or, yeah. You know, it's the a shame it's kind of gone. It's a shame the the art form though is not you like you said, it's not treated the same way. You there used to be these huge MT for, made for MTV huge budgets and now 
Yeah. You know, they just want to get something out there on YouTube and it's yeah, so yeah, it's kind of a shame because it was a great way to, to meet a band. Album. Like it's a co- accompanies their album or yeah. whatever now. And the, the coolest shit now is the DIY. Like, mm. right, the people that are doing yeah. it. I was like, we're in love with this band from Australia called Emil and the Sniffers. Mm-hmm. And they're like just a pub punk band. This female lead singer, there's like four of them. Man, they're brilliant. Mm. They make their own videos. They're just so urgent. Like it's, that to me is, is the best part of the business now, not big budget videos for Katy Perry or right. Rihanna, mm. like that, you know, or Mariah Carey. Well, you know, I, mean, that, that, you know that, I did, that seems dead to me. I did work with um, Lady I'll Gaga. I'll take a couple. For, I'll take a few of those. I, I worked with Lady Gaga for a while and, and I, I wrote the treatments with her and, and as far as that was concerned that was like a like one of the most fulfilling like creative experiences that i had in, in you know my career but well, that's me, she could do whatever she wanted to she's bringing in the big bucks I mean, well here's a good question i mean i've done a, a ton of music videos as well maybe it will help with the, the flicker and i never had done a music video by a band that I absolutely love. I've got a, a few that I like, but mm-hmm. I've never, you know, I, I've never done a Sonic Youth music video. I've never done, you know, music yeah. video for the Buttle Surfers. I've never done, you know, by bands or music, the, the style that I love to death. I've just never, every music video I've done, I mean, the Gary Clark Jr. one was cool. But it, yeah, that was cool. That, but but I, I agree. I, I'm in this. I, what, I, which one, have you done one for a band that you absolutely worship? Either one of you. I well, I d- I really was a fan of Queens of the Stone Age, and I did a video for them. But the thing was, is that they weren't in they weren't in the video. video. They just you know. But I mean, I I I did end up like meeting and working with them, but not from that. Such a cool band. Yeah. So sad what happened to them at the Battle Club, and oh god, just what they had well, to that was, yeah, well, that was yeah. Well, that was Eagles of Death Metal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. But they work together a lot, don't they? Yeah, to him and Josh. Well, it's Josh's band, right? Yeah. Well, he's, he doesn't play in it. Right. Yeah, but I mean, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's that other guy who's kind of documentary where they're all talking about it. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, that One Night in Paris, I think it's called. Mm. So heavy. So yeah, heavy. so that was on HBO, right? Yeah. He also did that band with John Paul Jones. That was pretty cool. Crooked Vultures, Pete, you know that one? Oh, yeah. 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 That that was a cool record too. Those those crooked them, cro- them, them crooked, crooked vultures. vultures. Them, them down crooked, the yeah. yeah. It was I think Dave Grohl and John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin, right? Mm-hmm. I think that was the, the bass player yeah. from Led Zeppelin, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He also, by the coincidence, has also uh was a producer for a couple of Butthole Surfers records. So there you go. Oh, yeah. We come full circle. <laughs> Um, so, so guys, tell me, where does the, the nugget of the, for this idea, because uh, ex- explain a little more about the film, because it's actually a really fascinating concept. I, I, I'm, I really, really am interested in where, where this kind of idea comes from. So the idea came, it was interesting. Oh, cool. we, we, we knew we were, we set out the task that we were going to make a film and we set a date for the film before we had the script. Like that was, we just, we set a target. My brother passed away. I had a little bit of money and I'm like, you know what? We're going to do it. So we I set a date. Yeah, and I moved back to LA to basically to work with Paul because we had gotten back in touch, uh, you know, through social media when I was in Atlanta. So I came back here and. And um, so 
we knew we, we knew we wanted to make a stoner film you know that was kind of it's such an undersubscribed market you know we let we, let's make something for you know that about a subject we love you yeah know I mean? we were we were always we knew uh, we, we wanted to make something fun. we knew we wanted to make something funny about weed and yeah. then for the longest time i've been writing contained thrillers you know someone's trapped in a trunk of a car like i mean i, I wrote like five of them and um and, and I started thinking about doing that for this. And, and Cara did research, right? Tell, tell her. Yeah. Um, so I, I started just doing research and, and I found this story about a guy in Russia. And it's funny because um, it, wa it wasn't kids in Russia. It was, the, it was a 35-year-old man who um, had, had buried himself in his garden, um, you know, he was going to bury himself for 24 hours. Obviously, he it was much longer than that. But um, he died. I mean, he died. The article was about how he died doing, you know, doing this um, because his, his air pipe, like you know, came out or something like that. And then I I found one other instance of somebody trying to bury themselves um, that that got killed doing it. <laughs> and um, and that was a. a an issue that we kind of batted back and forth. I, I really, I'm kind of more of a cynical, dark humored person. And so I'm like, no, he's got to die. <laughs> I give the ending away. I wanted him to die, right? It was like, he's got to die, he's got to die. But I, I think for me, from the beginning, that was not the story I thought we really wanted to tell. We right. wanted to, you know, it's just, I mean, yeah. it was actually right before COVID, but yeah, when we did all the live stream stuff it was, during COVID and it yeah. kind of added a, you know, a whole, it was that interface of the I, social media generation really twisted and changed it for us. And made it, made I more really, common, give it more commentary, I think, in yeah. an interesting way, but. And it was, well, and that came from, um, you know, during the lockdown, uh, all the news, like everybody was on Zoom and the news was like that being broadcast that way. And, um, and we couldn't get, together with anybody to film them so mm. you know paul had this this brilliant idea and it really adds to you know i think it really really adds to the film. i don't know if it was a brilliant I, it was kind of are a, you talking about the um the way that he, that he shoots himself and then the way everybody's watching him as he's yeah, in, the, you, know, you know the multi-screen interface multi -screen, like we have here right. yeah. you know i mean we yeah that because originally we were going to shoot 20 vignettes right through the city of different people watching the live stream and yeah, then COVID happened and we're like, well, fuck, how are we going to get actors out in the middle of COVID? So then it just was a brainwave because we're all on Zoom and I'm like, that's how to do it. So then we ended up just sending a brief to all of our friends all over the world, including you. And, and then people started sending in videos and we didn't give them anything other than react like this. Yeah. So I'm going, well, is this going to work? This is totally experimental, but it all works. There was a set of rules of what you had to follow. Uh, of eight genius it's genius it's genius and prescient it's i mean absolutely smart i love that and because everyone was at home right and no one was working and everyone was on their computer i'm like because people are like oh i don't want to fucking do it i'm not sure and i'd be like look it'll take five literally it'll take you five minutes and um and then luckily when roger got involved in jared then we ended up going beyond that frame of just the interface and going into their story, yeah. which added a whole other humor element. Because when we went into it, it was kind of a black comedy. We didn't know if it was going to be funny. Well, and I I have a comedy background. 
Um, yeah, not funny. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like we didn't, we weren't going into it like, oh, this is a barrel of laughs. Right. We, we didn't know if it would be funny. And the responses we've gotten have been, you know, that's been a big comment. Mm. How fucking funny it was. And we're like, no idea. I was the most surprised at how many people were like scared during it. The film, okay, the, the, the way the film is shot and put together, it, it comes off right at the beginning as a comedy. And yeah. as the film develops, as things start to get more and more intense, the minute he puts himself in the box, yeah. shall we say, shit starts to get heavy, man. I mean, you have a couple different side uh, plots that that uh, raise the the, the uh, crisis or the conflict as it, as it approaches. But the primary conflict is that we have our man in this box and everything is great at first and it just starts to you know that that claustrophobia that pit yeah, you know? that's what i was about to say the conveying that claustrophobia yeah. and, and and getting that emotion going especially with humor has got to be a fucking wild ride i love yeah. that i absolutely yeah, love yeah. the idea i mean yeah 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 sorry you're right. it invokes it invokes that uh that one uh, tarantino did it in kill bill with the the mm-hmm. coffin thing that it just it built well, part two when she breaks in, out of the coffin. incredible wow, tension an entire movie with um ryan reynolds Called oh, yeah, that, well, that was uh, <laughs> that was a major inspiration because I saw that film and I was like, I went to see it at a special screening and I'm like, okay, they're gonna come out of the box. They never left the box. Never. Ninety never. minutes. Yeah. Wow. Like, <sighs> yeah. So I, when we were putting this together, because I knew the thing is, my a lot of my friends never went to see it. They're like I don't want to fucking take ninety minutes. Yeah. True, true story. So with this, we knew we could temper that balance. Do you know what I mean? We could temper the balance of, of uh, how much time we spend in the box. But you leave the box quite often. So that's- leave the box. But the thing is this, the reason why it gets scary in the box is because you don't like him in the beginning. You get to like him. You end up loving the guy. And then when you go in the box with him, it's like you're right there with him. You, you begin to care about what's going on. And his journey to the end of the box is really metaphorically in subtext about him journeying to the underworld to confront his past. Because the past explains who he is and why he is. So that's what that all means when he goes into the box and he has to literally confront his demons. But yeah, at, at the heart of it, I'd say it's a, it's an existential journey um, that we both were interested in in exploring because he had just lost his brother and I was coming back. I lost my husband a few years earlier, mm. and we, you know. And, yeah, death um, was death, death was, was was looming over it. But, yeah, you know, but also you know the, the idea of a box, like we were all in boxes here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can have literally, and Sid's already in a box. His apartment is a box, right? All the windows are newspaper. Yeah. He, you know, it's it's about not wanting to be seen, but yet you're on the internet, see, people seeing you all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, these superficial relationships. You know, fucking oh, great, man. love that. Oh. <laughs> My new <laughs> Is that a cat, Raj? That's my new. Oh, I love him. It's Mabel. Oh, it's a girl. Mabel. Mabel. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the uh, and that actor who plays the man in the box is Mr. Jimmy Duvall, James Duvall, who, as uh, anybody knows, been in everything from the Greg Araki uh, trilogy, uh, Doomsday Generation, and uh, Nowhere. He was in, uh, was he even mod fuck explosion in the beginning of his career? Yeah. He was in Independence Day, gone in 60 seconds. And of course, he's Frank the Rabbit and Donnie Darko, among so many other things. 
and Jimmy's been working for a long, long time. Worked with him, know him personally too, and yeah. he will be on here in a future episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, it, so tell us about. I mean, a lot of the film you written, you write the film, but of course, it's having the right actor play the part. Yeah, and then that just changes a lot of stuff that you might have thought you know was going to go this way or that way that is imbued by the actor. So talk, talk a little bit about that and, and how you came upon James to play the part. Well, I've, I've known Jimmy for probably 20 years. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I just, I know him personally, like we're friends. I mean, I've, I've, I've been on sets with them, but you know, mostly our, our friendship is, is not, you know, in the industry or anything. So I, I knew him as this pothead, you know, coffee drinker, like, you know, rambler. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't and, drink alcohol. No, no. Yeah, big pothead, loves his coffee, <laughs> loves to play that guitar all day. Yeah, the, co- <laughs> the coffee, uh, val- the coffee and the THC kind of. <laughs> yeah, he's been on a roller coaster. But, um, that's called, an, that's called an Adirondack speedball where uh, George and I are from. Oh. <laughs> what I was thinking. Well, too. that's what he do, that does all day. Same with this one. But um, yeah, so I, you know, there were a lot of, when we were writing the character, um, there, it was physically nothing like, uh, you know, Jimmy, even though it didn't really matter, I guess, what he, what he looked like, uh, the character, but who I was envisioning, you know, was, was this particular kind of person. And, um, but then when I started thinking about it, I was like, but Jimmy is this guy, like, you know, he's totally this guy, you know, he just looks different. So we kind of, you can't, it's, it's not, it's funny because he he gets the Keanu Reeves comparisons all the time. But he's like the poor man's Keanu in this movie, like yeah. like, like he's Neo, right? It, it, he said that a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, I've always thought of Jimmy as that, like that kind of. He's always felt like that to me. You know, when 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 you mentioned him, because I've met him years ago too. Mm-hmm. I used to live right next to him, and and of course Donnie Darko being one of my favorite movies, I was like no brainer. But what he brought to the film specifically was we kind of had him more of a loser he brought the sensitivity to it because you know how sensitive mm-hmm. jimmy is right i mean vulnerability to it oh my yeah. god he's the most sensitive guy i know he'll yeah, cry yeah. like that yeah so and we didn't want him to smile at all in the film until there's a certain point where he does um so Very we needed handy. someone that was sullen and could have capture that emotion and like a little puppy dog where you kind of you you just want to care for him and that is jimmy yeah, and to me, he, it's like he, he, just, he, he was almost typecast. You can watch him like he is. He gets typecast a lot. Yeah, yeah, but you know, but he, but he doesn't because he ends up playing he like cops and shit, yeah, and, yeah. and weird things. And I'm like, but this character, like, this is how Jimmy, like, really is. Just <laughs> Jimmy. But you know, that's the closest it, to his actual personality I've ever seen put on camera. That's yeah. yeah. Yes, it, and that, and it felt so it felt natural to me because I'm like, he doesn't really have to do much. He just has yeah. to. You know, and and because he understood weed and the whole thing, that seemed easy to me. And also, what is experience? Because you know, it's like casting's destiny, right? I think we even had this conversation mm. when we were right before we shot the film, Roger. We were we were debating it. I mean, Roger's been involved in the film yeah. since before we shot it, so that was it was really a big question. And to me, 
Jimmy was just funny. Like, there's something funny about him. Like, when he's at the door with the kids, mm -hmm. he just, I don't know. He's a, he's like, I don't know. He, I've got he's a natural performer. I know. And I've got loads of um, footage of just him messing around when, you know, we weren't shooting or whatever, yeah. you mm -hmm. know, and, and it's all funny. Yeah, a lot of good BTS stuff. Yeah, he was yeah. the first on set every day. He stayed yeah. on the set. He lived there. Yeah. He literally would show up and be like, good morning, everyone. He was, can, you know, that's like, you're trying to get actors out of the motorhome, right? <laughs> He's there, like, let's go. Yep. He's I shot a movie with him in Idaho. And the day he landed on set, the day he left, nobody wanted him to leave. Every, I mean, he just, he came yeah. to set. All, but after the movie, every day when the end of rap, I'd come downstairs to this room I'm sleeping in. He'd be entertaining like 40 people playing the guitar. Yeah. The whole, yeah, like, playing whole the guitar. town wanted to hang out. Oh, yeah. Well, he was like that. The, the guys who actually owned the houses that we filmed in, there were two houses next door to each other. One we used for production and one we filmed in. <laughs> in the beginning, we're like, yeah, Jimmy. And after day four, day five, they were like, he won't stop playing music yeah. like all fucking night. He's in there. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. He truly yeah. he went deep with this yeah. role. I mean, he yeah. went true method. Yeah, he really he, fucking, he became Sid, like to me. Well, and he already he already he privately told me that he enjoyed this role more than any role he's done in the last 10, 12, 15 years because he's just gotten he has sort of been typecast or he's been put into a lot of movies that shall we say, you know, the ones that go nameless and faceless for a while. So he's been he's been he's been been buried yeah. under a lot and he's just gotten almost kind of almost tired of acting. Yeah. This is real. What will reawakened him is what yeah. he said. Well, and I wanted uh, in well said. You know, he's been a close friend of mine for so long, and I really um, am am so glad that this, you know, that we were able to do this project together, and that um, and that he was able to really have yeah. a role that he could you know well come on this movie's about stunted growth right yeah. <laughs> that's jimmy i mean that's me too we're all like that we're yeah. fucking you know we're like big kids and and that naivety that kind of like you know idealistic like that's what this character needed like underneath the surface of his depression and his anxiety mm. and the, the whole dystopian vibe he has is some is it like a positive heart right yeah. it's like it's just how he rediscovers it in a way yeah it's like he's lost in yeah. his own uh well i think I, and i think a lot of people are um you know and I, that's why i felt like this even though it's you know the film is is um stylized and it's you know a crazy story it, it's i feel like it's a lot of people are in this situation that he's in you know or that you know, mm. and that was even before the the. Yeah, it's a humanist yeah. film, and it also touches on a lot of populist themes that is well, sort of endearing to all of us right now. It seems yeah. to have a, a social commentary on how yeah. how the Zoom is affecting everybody, and how you know your online presence. And I, I find I, I'm my interest has certainly peaked into a yeah. into everything you're saying. It sounds absolutely awesome. It's the dichotomy, right, of how devices isolate us. Because mm -hmm. we spend time on our devices, but they also but, but in the same way they they connect us because we're actually spend more time interacting with people and mm -hmm. seeing them, and uh, so, so that is interesting to me. And he goes from being one person alone, being watched by his friend playing video games, mm -hmm. to have ten thousand people. 
the search for an audience, you know, the search to be followed. You know, it's interesting. You know, his Logan's like, I've got, I've got over a thousand followers. Mm. Like the way he says it, it's like followers. Yeah. It's like Jesus Christ. You know, what I mean, I've got the. That's how I see it. I'm like followers. Even the word followers is so, it's so strange. So we, yeah. we put a lot of biblical metaphors in the film: the ascension, the baptism, the resurrection. It's all in the film. Because, you know, even even when the Holy Rollers come into the movie, like there's a lot of subtext to kind of question our own perceptions of life and death. You know, it's it's all in there if you want it. But it also works on a surface level as being like a a silly stoner movie. You know, I hope it works on both levels. Well, yeah, it does. It it just depends on how how far you want to dig in, you know, or not. It just depends on... The red pill or the blue pill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what's interesting, too, is is that I had, and we had already, you know, written the film and probably shot it at this point, but I there was a story in the news where this man had... Um, he, he wanted to kill his wife, and he enlisted the help of this kid that he played you know video games online with that they didn't wow. had never met in person or what? anything and he totally planned this whole murder mm-hmm. of his wife and stuff with this kid you know and i'm thinking like wow they must he must have really thought that they had like a i mean that's some best friend kind of shit <laughs> that's like that's catfishing you know it's interesting that's it, like it, that lawrence chasm film i love you to death yeah and uh, what's the other one? Um, there's another oh, to die for where she hires the kids to kill her yeah. husband. And in, in this film, it's interesting. Logan says, I don't need a friend in real life, like that's a big comment in the film, too. Like, you know, with social media and all that, and Facebook, I, I feel like I'm in touch with all my friends, you know. What I mean, oh, yeah, we're all seeing each other, to, yeah, but, but, but the physical what... interaction is like much less. Well, and also, you're seeing what they want you to see, you're not yeah. seeing well, that's part really of the film, there. too, right? Yeah, because identity and how they present themselves yeah you know like logan says he's 19 20 i mean what is he 15 i don't know, you know I, mean, I mean that, that, that to me it's an open you know well he's definitely still uh logan a, played by koi stewart koi stewart yeah. who is great yeah. bless his mom he, uh, he, you know he still needs his mom to for big decisions he, he so plays, he's he plays a straight guy which is interesting because yeah. a lot of the comedy actually comes from him right yeah. his reactions to yeah. To Sid, but even though he was great, he just clicked in. He to that well, and role, he yeah. also um was a, a child. He comes from um like the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon yeah. or something. And he said it because I was having a conversation with him, and he said when he was a kid, they just they rehearse you. You have like you have yeah. to know the lines, you have to memorize everything, and and they just drill you over and over and over and over so and over blocked. again. Yeah. yeah, so it, there's just not an oppor- opportunity for you to make a mistake, really. Yeah. But also, there's not an opportunity for, for you to really, like, you know, yeah. delve into it artistically. But, I, you know, I and, and, and with scripts, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, in your experience, Rose, but for me, I think improvisation, like I like to, uh, the, the actors being off book is great, but, you know, I think just let the actors put themselves into the roles, let them improvise a little if they're finding it difficult. You know, I, I, I did that with a film and kind of gave them free reign to kind of you know, interpret it how they wanted. And it made yeah. it easier because they, they didn't feel so like, Fuck, I've got to stick to this. But book. they did a lot. Most of it, they, it, it's exactly how it was written, you know? Yeah. yeah. I would, it goes two ways, Paul. 
sometimes you know when, when the actors are able to sort of you give them like a Nashville type script where everybody's supposed to improvise. You give them a naturalistic setting and everybody's supposed to come up with their character. I could see the freedom in that. Right. And sometimes when you're a slave to every single word, uh, mammoth style, you know, that could be a hindrance because you know, that you might have to do a hundred takes to get that one absolute reading. But um, you know, but at the same time, if you're well rehearsed, and you, you've got the everybody's off book it can go like clockwork and sometimes improvisation could slow a movie down too so sure. it's like it all depends on it depends if on you're going to make yeah. your day or not <laughs> yeah, there's horses for courses because all actors are different too yeah yeah and um you know just thinking ironically back to the days of the music videos i noticed that mc light was part of the cast um is I haven't seen her uh, in a, you know, I may have missed it, but is she uh, a frequent actor? And did you work with her in the past to get her involved in this project? No, it was, um, no, she does a lot of um, television and independent films. She's an actor. She's just an OG, you know what I mean? To me, I remember her with LL Cool J, like 86. So I started thinking like, who, who can we get, you know? And I also wanted someone from the music business. I just wanted to represent it. And, her name came up straight away mm-hmm. as someone, you know, who could be an interesting authority figure over this young guy. And, um, and she said, yeah, like all of our first choices said, yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that was a surprise. Cause yeah. we had not, we didn't think we were going to get Margaret Cho. Well, with Margaret, I. That's right. And Margaret Cho was in the movie as well. Yep. Yeah. I, I kind of. Um... Hadn't well, you worked with her? Or Jimmy had worked no, Jimmy with her. Jimmy had worked with her, but I, I didn't, for some reason, like I was so stuck on wanting wanting her to play this <laughs> that I I never, we never even had a second choice. We never had any other choices. I'll tell you what we did, though. We argued over one thing at the beginning. I said, if Margaret Cho's going to do it, is she going to do it in that voice? You know, she does that where she oh, impersonates we... her mom. <laughs> and you're like, no, no. way, no way. She... <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah i was you like put no. your foot down on yeah that. i was yeah. like no she we're not gonna ask yeah. her to do an asian no, accent no, no. <laughs> but i just my brain on i thought we went there because she's yeah. so fucking funny yeah. when she does that she yeah does. yeah yeah, but, yeah. But she, she was she was great she was easy to work with too man yeah she was awesome yeah. and then your last major actor is a uh, tina majorino from uh of course uh the uh what's that fucking water world water world world yeah water world and of course yeah. napoleon dynamite Oh, ton of movies. I mean, oh, yeah. What, well, I know, but those those are the two. Those are the milestone films, right? You know. I know. I I why was I? She was in one with Ray Liotta and Whoopi Goldberg, right? What was that one? Oh, uh, Caroline Charlotte. What was it? The two girls. Oh name? my God! It was a terrible movie. Karina, Karina. Sorry, you listening. She's been in so many movies. You know, it's funny because when we thought about that role too, because the film's a role reversal, right? Mm-hmm. Jimmy's the damsel in distress in a way. If you think about, don't right. know, I've given it away. So yeah. we needed someone that you would believably could do that. So we could, we didn't want someone too fancy and too girly. It wanted to be someone really grounded. And when I when I go into the web, you know, the pot shops, the, the people in there are a really specific type. Mm. And and she just worked like i don't know was it she because that was a that was an interesting role because it's a kind of love story in reverse it was like how do you match someone to sit like you know what i mean because Sid's so grody with his shaved head you know it was like how do you what what is going to work so that was experimental too i mean 
you know, well, and it, yeah, and I, I think that she kind of is more of like a, or, you know, as an actress, um, you know, she feels, she's like a real person, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's I, not like Angelina Jolie or something yeah. like right. that. Yeah. So guys, real quick, we've been, we're going at it for a minute here. We'd like to take a quick little break, yep. just to hit the bathroom real quick and get another refresher. Um, I'm very excited that uh, this may be the first episode where we, we do a lot of episodes on weed. This may be the first episode where we're actually watching people smoke weed on their actual oh, podcast. Oh, I know. This movie, this movie just it sounds phenomenal. I, I can't <laughs> wait. I'm loving, I'm loving taking this deep dive with you guys. All right, we're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk more with Paul Boyd and Kara Scobie Brown. Hey, everybody. This is Eric from Slate River Farms. You may remember me from episode one titled Farm to Toilet. I'm just dropping by to remind you to please follow $5 Buzz on Instagram. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscription bell on YouTube. That way, you'll never miss an episode. The Buzzards have some great content locked and loaded for Season 3. I know I'm excited. Also, please check out Slate River Farms' website and our socials. We raise and sell certified grass-fed and grass-finished beef and pastured heritage breed pork on our fourth-generation family farm in upstate New York. Order online, and we'll ship our goods directly to your doorstep via one-day shipping for all of New England, New York, New Jersey, and PA. From our pastures to your doorstep, life gets crazy. At SRF, we believe in peace, love, and pork chops. And we're back uh, with Paul and Kara, and uh, you know we were just having a conversation about a recent film uh pete you know you just stepped off but uh have you seen the new Macbeth film yet with denzel washington and francis mcdormand uh, i have it the screener it's sitting there staring at me i want to i hear it's good is it a good none of us have seen it yeah oh we were gonna watch it last night last night we were gonna watch it and then tonight Tonight. I, I hear it's I hear it's fantastic, but the best movie I've seen so far this year is Nightmare Alley by a long shot. I love that film. Really? I think Nightmare it's Alley, really good. Yeah. Well, I haven't even checked that. It's interesting because that there was a whole thing in the trades about why people aren't watching that or something. Really? Um, yeah. It's too dark. Well, sure. Was it? Because oh. it's too dark. That's Guillermo, right? Guillermo oh, and it's dark. it's a uh, it's Pan's Labyrinth, Guillermo, not uh, Shape of Water. Guillermo, if that makes any kind of sense, you know what I mean? It's a, it's just, it's a, you know, late thirties, early forties, world war two era brilliance. I it looks, love it, it looks interesting. Uh, it, and it's funny. You, you mentioned Guillermo is that our last guest, uh, his name is Hugo Martin. He's primarily works in the video game mm. industry, but he worked on Pacific rim with, uh, Guillermo. So that's right. just ironic, but the, uh, it, it, yeah. And, I love Guillermo and I love Shape of Water and I like uh Pan's I like Act. that too. I thought that was funny as hell. Honestly, yeah. that was so t- But wasn't it was he was is he Nightwatch and Daywatch? No, was- no, 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 no. Nightwatch was a Russian film. What was his Day- first film? It was the uh, Orphanage or something. No. His- what is it called? I know it- Oh, his first film was called Kronos. Kronos, that's mm. right. I'm thinking of somebody else. Yeah. And that because you remember he did Mexico. his films were uh he's from Mexico, so his films were Spanish and and shot in Mexico to start his career. And I believe his first American film was Blade. Wow. Donald and they're all in that one, aren't they? That first one. And then he did Hellboy. Hellboy, right. 
Yeah. So, you know, it's funny how he goes from there. I mean, you know, he was doing it for them because he because he also did the Devil's Backbone and he did a, a couple That's other, you know, his, his he had these really great Mexican films that were artfully done and you could tell they were from him and then the studio system. He took he did what you're supposed to do, right? He did yeah. movies for them, made it, you know, with his little flair, his little style, but it pleased everybody. They were successful. And then once he got the reins, it was all him, baby. <laughs> Man's Labyrinth was a shocker. There were some scenes in that where, like, the head crushing with the bottles. It was just like, well, I actually were. I was working at um, the Syndicate um, and Cafe Effects uh, in Santa Monica at the time, and uh, yeah, Chris Ledoux. I think they won. They won like an, an Academy Award for the really? yeah. yeah for the, yeah, the visual effects won the Oscar. Also, yeah. so did uh, Guillermo Navarro the uh, cinematographer won Best Cinematography, and we work with his business partner, Ernesto, a lot. Ernesto Lamelli mm-hmm. did, uh, yeah, his um, stuff with them. Roger, we, had, we went to the art uh, exhibition with uh, Vanessa and Jeff uh, based on Pan's Labyrinth, art based on Guillermo del Toro films, right? Uh-oh. What was it? Remember downtown we went to that thing? That I time? didn't go to that fucking thing. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> no, I didn't go. I was probably curmudgeonly going, no, I don't want to go see the movie. Shit. <laughs> anyway, so guys, so we're, um, I challenge us out and that's, uh, we're going to keep plugging that away. And, and, and as the, the going $1 million to rent. Now, so I do know that during COVID, you guys snuck another one in there that you did together, right? Mm hmm. And what can you talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, um, it was you know right in the middle of COVID, and the statistics of people dying were, were just the numbers were going up worldwide, and and all I could think of was these poor people, these families watching their parents and their loved ones dying in hospital, and not being able to be there. Mm-hmm. And this was happening, and it was you know, it, it was interesting because that prompted the rise of Zoom, right? Zoom became you know, proliferated. It'd been around before, but so there was me seeing this happening on the news. And then my mother living in Spain being sick and me not being able to get there because of travel restrictions. I was like, oh my God, if something happens to her, I'm gonna watch her die on Zoom. So my mind just starts, you know, really because I couldn't get there for almost a year. Yeah. And then um so we said, okay, that's a film, a family experiencing the death of a patriarch on a video mm-hmm. conference call, you know, the disconnection, the confusion, the whole thing. Cause people, some people were dying within 48 hours. It's still happening. Yeah. People that aren't vaccinated. Can't say. So that was the initial idea. And, and my concept being that we just did all the live stream and I challenge are using webcams. All of it was using webcams. <clears throat> I thought like we could do a film this way. Mm-hmm. So, we think we knew we needed a platform and we couldn't get in touch with Zoom, being that they're in Korea or whatever. We tried. We also set a date a couple of months in. We're going to do this thing over three days mm. in August, eight hours a day with all the actors at home. So we did that and we pitched it to friends at Google and Google got behind it and allowed us to use the Google Meet browser as an interface. They set us up with a team in the UK to record it. And, um, and we spent three days in August 2020 doing the film. And we got some great actors. Oh, we had amazing actors. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, because and they were they did. You know, yeah, there's there's some hitters in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so, they they wanted everybody wanted to work because they you know. Well, everyone was at home. They were all home, and yeah. they all they all endorsed the concept of. Well, give a name. Give shout out a couple of those actors. Well, there's um, Danny Houston. Danny Houston. There's Lynn Shea. I mean, because there's so many. Yeah. Right? Um, but, but it all kind of started around Danny Houston, right? Kind of helping. Yeah. Yeah, because they're producing the first person to get the kind yeah. of attached to the film. Yeah, he came on. Yeah, who can't relate to that concept? I mean, how many people, you know, died and not only that you couldn't go visit them but there's no funeral there's no or funerals were put off and all that stuff man i mean well, I, I remember seeing a, a photo in the like in a newspaper it was in like the la times or something and it was uh all these ipads that they were that they were charging at the hospital because for the patients to, for yeah. to see the oh yeah for the yeah. and and so i was like wow you know and for me you know what was happening at the time is a lot of people were shooting movies like this they were realizing they couldn't and they were sending big digital cameras to people's homes and networks were doing it yeah. and i'm like no 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 I, to me i said the artifacts are as important so everyone did it on their own cameras they sent in the footage we put it together so when we had artifacts of people freezing and we used that editorially to cut out all the pieces of dialogue we didn't want mm -hmm. and, and the so the, all the artifacts ended up being something that really helped us because yeah. it has to feel live right the right. whole film is an hour and 10 minutes and it feels like it's happening live so it's we did it we did time, we did yeah. it like a group call but then we broke off to sidebar calls where two people are calling each other mm -hmm. so we go from 20 people to two so knowing that going in we improvised the whole film yeah. We just broke it down okay. into 20 segments because all these actors they, are professional. What a concept. And they yeah. and we yeah, we just gave them like a, a their, detailed their family tree. Family yeah, tree, the family yeah. tree and and detailed like uh character descriptions. Yeah. yeah. So they knew who they who they had beef with or who, you know. So where it got really interesting, right, was that mm -hmm. we were in the process of putting this film together and George Floyd was murdered. Mm -hmm. by police, right so we're now going danny houston calls and he goes he goes you think this is relevant anymore COVID. this is like last june right yeah. i'm like yeah i think COVID's going to be around for for a minute he goes yeah but what's happening outside the windows right now mm -hmm. with george floyd and black Lives Matter? we have yeah. to address that so we said okay let's make the family a blended family mm -hmm. and and so there's a there's a parent the, the parent because it's three generations you've got the grandparents the parents the kids and the grandkids. Mm -hmm. So we created conflict in the family where two of the parents are going through a divorce and are separated and we made one black and one white. Mm -hmm. So it's a blended family going through the shit of the death at the same time George Floyd is going on outside the window. Yeah. So the young kids are talking about that. So it it, it was definitely an experiment. Like right. we, we didn't know if it was going to work at all. You know, I still don't know if it works because Cynodyne picked up the film, but a lot of people have seen it and going, oh, it's too real. I, I think it right. I think it works. I don't know what that means though. I know. That, I said that means it's a success, doesn't it? Because if, if it's like what does that mean? It's too real. That's like the dumbest thing to say. It's like, I know. Yeah, it, motherfucker. Yeah. I, I, I think I kind of get it though. I kind of I kind of get it because it's too real because this is what we're doing all the time. And now you've got but that's what that's what also makes it an, an almost avant-garde concept. Well, it is pretty yeah. fucking cool, actually. And check this out. So we finished the fucking film. We you brought in Peter, right? Yeah, Peter. Yeah. We Peter worked, Jason. Yeah, we worked with uh Peter Jason in the, the film that 
Margaret Roger Avery, Bell. who won an Academy Award for The Color Purple, Clifton Davis. Yeah. We had. Uh, she was nominated. She didn't win. Right. We had Lynn Shea, who I'm actually working with on Skin Today. She, yeah. She's coming. Lynn Shea is a, for those who don't know, is a cult icon actress whose brother was Bob Shea, who owned New Line Features and was responsible for Nightmare on Elm Street. She's been in so many horror movies. Uh, some of the big ones that um, I'm trying to think right off the top of my head. And, yes. and also uh, with the Farrelly brothers, one of my favorite parts is her as the landlord in um, the Farrelly brothers Kingpin. movie. Kingpin, Kingpin, right? Kingpin. Yeah. Yes. yeah. She's a brilliant character. And then something about yeah. Mary. She was, but she's just, she's a something great. Something about Mary was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we put all these actors in a room together. Um, you know, well, I mean, not I'm, really in a room. <laughs> Well, they were. They were in a room online. Right, right, right yeah. And uh, But all isolated from each other. It was really interesting, man, because it was kind of competitive. You know, I mean, you could tell that each one was, they knew who each other, it was, it was really- They kind of one up each other? Yeah, man, they, they really stepped yeah. up. And and what we did was we did we did a dry run I think didn't we for a couple of days before we we went through everything yeah we yeah we did it yeah, done it like a, a couple times and then um, and then we just went for it over the three mm. days and uh, but it's been interesting because a lot of sales agents saw the film and they're like oh I don't know about that you know it's dark this isn't really a movie which it is now we fucking a friend of mine is like are you interested in music well I know we can't have music right it's not it's not going to be real. He said, well, I know the guys in Culture Club. And I'm like, can you get to Boy George? They said, yeah. They sent the film to Boy George. He wrote the song for the fucking film, right? The wow. end of the you know, this was even, but it, it was before we, he, yeah. he, before we even finished. Yeah. 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 He, he came broke. back and told me that while you guys were still making the fucking movie. I was like, yeah, we were still making it. He, yeah. He had, yeah. So he was, writes the song and he writes the song in the title of the movie, which is we, we, we Are Gathered Here Today, right? <laughs> so we get the music. We're like, we can't fucking believe what George It's so great. Because of the crying game, right? I mean, that's all I'm thinking. And we hear it and he's like, we are gathered here. We just well, it's very, it, it's, it's like, um, he, he's taking a note from uh, David Bowie, you yeah, know. Lazarus, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and it's very, um, there's a lot of emotion in it. And it's, it's, it's just really brilliant. So then Roy, who's the main songwriter in Culture Club, he wanted to do the score, you know, and I was very reluctant. George did the song. And then I was like, well, take the film and just score it. Show me what you want to do just to give me an it. He put the fucking score on this like cello. Like, cause you've seen this family go through this emotional thing. Man, when he put that on, mm. it was like, yep, we'll keep that. It just yeah. worked and it was subtle. And and I fought at that first. I was like, no, yeah, no, no. It was, yeah. Uh, well, the yeah. whole thing was, was experimental. So it yeah. was, you know. You just don't know. Yeah. And, and But that's part of the fun, right? You yeah. know what I mean? Cause to me, it was the concept. I was like, you know, even if it doesn't work, the concept alone of putting a thing together to me was an interesting enough challenge. You know what I mean? Well, never. Yeah, and everyone, everyone came together. Everybody wanted to participate. Yeah. You know. And you know what, Raj? The Cinedine uh, came on. All the actors are going to help us do publicity. And oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I, there was just one quick question about that. I mean, without getting too deep into the weeds of the technical minutia, but this must present some kind of editing challenge. I mean. Are you presenting it like everybody's got an isolated shot and you're cutting between that, or is it in a grid form kind of thing? Or are you going back and forth? I mean, that must have been that must have been a total uh, an interesting I, I, challenge. It, it was the film starts 
with the spread of information between conference calls, mm -hmm. mother calling son, son calling ex-wife, ex-wife calling their child, uh, spreading the information of there's going to be a call and yeah. what's happened. Those are all two screens and three screens. And then when the conference call happens, um, the Google Meet happens at the beginning of Act 2, and the nurse turns on the camera, and they all come on screen. Mm. And it builds over 10 minutes to about 20 people. And then we keep cutting away to individual conference calls. And then, yeah, so, I mean, it gets, it gets pretty heavy in there. I mean, sidebar conversations. Yeah. And, I don't, I, th yeah. I think it's. I just think it was an important film to make, yeah. whether it's a good film or a bad film. We were so compelled to make this. Yeah, and that's film, the thing right? about art is that, like, yes, it's um, yeah, we felt compelled to make this film, as did uh, apparently, uh, you know, other people wanted to get involved. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, it's it. We we didn't make it like, hey, we want to make a lot of money off of. No, this. we did it as a non profit. Yeah, and and SAG gave us waivers on every actor did it uh donated their time mm -hmm. all the money's you know it's going to be charity like it's everyone did it on a ticket yeah we didn't pay any of the actors it'll be an interesting document to look back on because yeah. it is a time capsule right. you know that's, in a, in a, in a well, moment in time I, it's a whole. fantastic concept really really yeah. cool Bravo. And, I, and i think the actors that we brought gave credence to it you know i mean i think if we mm -hmm. if we did a bunch of not you know novice actors maybe it wouldn't have worked but you believe these people do you know what i mean because they can fucking act so you're yeah. in there you're just you know so that was uh it's going to be interesting to see how people react to that i thought uh, at first that people would just get it but you know i think um the people that we've been talking to roger you know are all in sales yeah what the fuck do they know you know you give them something new they're like oh uh how do we they don't know what if they can't see it immediately and understand right. exactly what box it goes into they freak out, dude. Fucking they, tail they, is all this time. Isn't it? I challenge her. It's it's not. It's multi. It's multi genre. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah. But you know what, man? We're baking bread. Like, we, you know, what I mean, we're trying to do it our own way. You know, what I mean, it's not. Love it's like, it. We've been in the business too long yeah. to just be trying to make, you know, films that either, you know, fit into some box or you know, I mean, yeah, accidents. You know, I fucking. I welcome those. I've been a filmmaker for 40 years. You know what I mean? Since I was a teenager. To me, I, I the, the stuff, like in other words, you know, there's a famous, you know, Werner Herzog says, you know, storyboards are for cowards, right? <laughs> He's right. I did two books of storyboards for the film, right? 100 pages. And on set, didn't, for didn't, for Challenger, yeah. didn't bring them out. Because I already knew, you know what I mean? I, I designed the film inside my head planned it out and then on set just rock and rolled it and, it, and you know only because of what Werner said I was like you know, but then I think going well maybe I shouldn't have done a storyboard at all maybe I should just show up on the day with the actors and you know but my years in training planning is fucking important and and when you're well, working, Stacey would disagree with Werner Herzog so I'm just saying that everybody has their own little point and so yeah. would the Coen brothers and so would Alfred Hitchcock so they all storyboarded like motherfuckers yeah. So yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for both. Whereas Lars von Trier doesn't, right? Whereas, yeah. you know, Mike Lee does not. So it's like it all depends on on, on who you are as a filmmaker and yeah. what what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And yeah. I think um, being prepared and and doing the you know storyboarding everything out and which ended up the uh, the editor. He used yeah. it as a map. That was yeah. actually, you're right, because when I storyboarded, I 
I'd storyboarded it like cuts mm. in the dialogue, you know, just because I wanted to visualize it myself because I was also, we were working in a little house, little yeah. rooms. I'm like, well, how the fuck am I going to make this continually change and be interesting in a small space? Man, we set up insane challenges for ourselves for, yeah, a, we for did. a 12 day shoot to be well, underground. Because we, <laughs> when we had uh, decided to do this, you know, and um, I just, I, I'm still kind of astonished that we're, <laughs> you know, that here we are and that the film's been released and everything. I'll be, ast- I, I'll be astonished if, if, it spreads word of mouth and people actually, you know, and it gets a following. That's what I'm hoping for is that, and I'm totally prepared for the long haul. You know what I mean? Mm. It takes time, but I hope that gave it, it has all the, it has all the components of that. You know, the, the other film, I mean, the stoner film, I could see people, you know, that's something they're going to find immediately. The other film, when people want to look back yeah. on the era as mm-hmm. a time capsule of something that existed during that period. Yeah. Think about how invaluable that movie will be to those yeah. who didn't live through it. The yeah. children of the kids who lived through the pandemic. And you know what, that. Roger? It's I just read before we recording that the UK is basically done with COVID. They're like, we're done with mask mandates. We're done with vaccine. Like uh, Bor- uh, Boris uh, Yeltsin. Is- the British guy yeah yeah Boris Johnson basically said we're done so um it, it seems like the world is moving on finally thank gosh but uh yeah yeah I think that what you guys are doing is definitely going to be something that is going to be a major frame of reference and it's funny you mentioned that your mom I think you said lived in Spain because one of the artifacts I have from when COVID first started is uh, I have this New York Times article and I found it when I moved a couple of weeks back. Uh, I had it highlighted. It said, uh, and you you all might remember this, is that certain countries would restrict other com- countries from coming in. So it's like yeah. Italy will not allow f- flights to Spain until like March 15th. So it was like two weeks and I was like, wow. So in two weeks, everything's going to be fine. And I wrote it down. I have like this calendar book. I'm like, Spain and Italy are allowed to fly back and forth to each other. And obviously, uh, this went on. Uh, this problem has been going on for a long time. But it's, yeah, I mean, I remember that. And I, re- I remember watching a lot of Italian news stories. Oh, yeah. Italy was just in the beginning, just getting overwhelmed by uh COVID. Oh like where my mom was they couldn't go out they they, they 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 if they were in a car they had to wear a mask even if you're in a car yeah. and it could only be two people in a car and she was isolated for months she didn't see someone for like three months mm-hmm. and we couldn't get there and then she her cancer overcame her in 2021 and she passed away in march oh. check this out i couldn't get to spain for a month the, the, i had to get permission from the spanish police mm-hmm. not the government and just the the drama, just to try and get over there, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't. yeah, the eurozone was very. I remember watching because I remember watching the Italian footage before, mm-hmm. you know, here in the U.S. and it was just very, uh, very dark and very disturbing. And uh, that's why really I started almost draconian. Yeah, you know, when, and it's what's interesting, Rogers, when we did the pitch for the film to the actors. The summary, the director's statement says, yeah. 
50,000 people have died. It's about to hit a million, mm. right? So, and, and back then the politicians were saying, oh, it's going to be over by the summer. It's yeah. going to be over, you know, and it, and it didn't. But, you know, I, I agree with you. I think Omicron is seeing the shift towards we'll get a vaccination every year, you'll get a shot, and if you get it, it'll be like a cold. And thank God, because I now I can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. I can because of how it's all turning around. So many of my friends have got it. The Omicron and it's they're vaccinated and um, it's just like a cold for a couple of days. So I think we're going to see the curve. I am. You know? Well, and I think um, well, and also just back to the the film <laughs> in terms of the like mostly what we were trying to say was you know it was also about the secrets that people keep uh, in their families and yeah yeah that's true. Yeah, you because know, the, we because the producer was part of the inspiration because he said that, you know, one of his friends, when their parents died on their deathbed, they told this secret about his life that just unhinged the whole family, you know, about when he was younger and all the stuff he did. And and, and they were like, that's a really selfish thing to do. And I'm like, well, I mean, I, I guess you're, you're on your way out the door. You just you want to unload it. And that was a debate. We debated that, whether that was the right thing or the wrong thing to do to expose the truth. So that became a key in the film, too. There's a confession. The one dying was unloading or the one? The one dying. Yeah, yeah, the one yeah. Yeah, so he, that, so he makes it. So he makes a video like what? But that comes after he passes. Yeah. You're like, oh, by the way. And then they all watch this thing and it's you're kind of left like, what the fuck? Yeah. And But it's very, there's a Kafka-esque vibe. I'm telling you, it. It could work as a play. Yeah. It really could. And that's what I'm hoping happens. Is mm -hmm. that you know, a bunch of actors together and they they've set it up as a play because you don't need yeah. you need one space. Yeah, that's true. Well, it invokes it invokes the idea that and it's something that George and I have definitely talked about, and Roger, we've all talked about is that this whole experience has been kind of a great reset on a lot of things. People are staying home more. People are reading more. People are doing things that you probably should have been doing and not so inundated with media and everything else. But now this huge reset that's forcing you to stay in and get closer to your family and find and maybe be a little more truthful yeah. is, is happening in that. And, and uh, that whole concept certainly speaks and invokes that kind of emotion that I yeah. think a lot of people are, or, trying to figure out and so you know so i salute that that's that's, that's like it's a but great you know, great you, know, angle. Like you work in this business and i've worked for a long time and you know especially after doing a lot of promotional stuff and commercials you end up feeling soulless because like well what am i really what am i selling like it's okay i could make beautiful art but so then when this project when we felt compelled to do it it felt important do you know what i mean it felt like we have to do it yeah there was no do you know what I mean? Even yeah, if it was wrong. Well, I, I know that difference, man. Yeah. You know yeah. What you're talking about. yeah. And now we're going to do, an, and we're actually doing another one uh, called mm. Relapse about a musician stuck at home relapsing on opioids and, and having a nervous breakdown on the internet. Yeah. You know, so we're dealing with that and that we're going to do very similar. We're going to shoot in the house for a week and then it's like an intervention that happens uh, online. So it, similar context, but, well, because but the, with more film actually. Yeah, content. I mean, the, the, the pandemic, uh, within the pandemic, I guess. I mean, before COVID hit, we, you know, there was this opioid crisis. And that even didn't, worse, during. that didn't go away. That we talk about it a lot on the show. <laughs> it, it worse. got like five times worse. Yeah, it's yeah. just, and there's 
also the fact that this country has just ignored mental health, <laughs> you know, for yeah. so long. It's just now all of a sudden people are like, oh, you yeah. know. We want to confront, you know, our own demons in the past and 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 kind of really focus a light on musicians and the mu music industry mm. and give the money from relapse to music cares. You know, mm. it's a charity that helps musicians. Because if you think about what's happened to the music business, it's like yeah. Napster in full effect. I mean, okay, you give your 10 bucks a month to Spotify, but you know, you listen to a million downloads. It's for 13 bucks. It's just, man, it, you know, it's in a way it's happened to the film industry too, because you get something like Netflix, you go and you pay your 10 bucks, you get, you know, well, but, 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 but the movies get a lot more money than those musicians do. Yeah, yeah and well, you can still sell your movie, but buying an album, I well, mean, I buy able, music. They have to be able to play live. That's the. Yeah. That's... But, I, but I buy music. Like, I don't go on a fucking Spotify. People, and I, look, Spotify is its own thing. Mm. If I want to listen to a person's album, I will buy the fucking thing. Right. And, you know, that just, that just seems Spotify like people don't do that. Spotify is terrible. But I also get it. You know, you pay your 10 bucks, you have 5 million fucking songs at your fingertips. It just feels wrong to me. It is know. wrong. It's, it's like, I don't know how this guy you know <laughs> it's, like, all it's all connected man like exactly like you mentioned the opioid crisis not to bring yeah. that all up but you yeah. know that's you know if people right. we're, we're big advocates of marijuana on this yeah. show yeah. you know in many ways and how, what, how how many how much can that affect people and help people way more than this opioid crisis oh my god ever yeah. hasn't yeah. i mean believe like, me we go down the rabbit hole work on a pain scale right it's a zero to ten pain scale and They'll, they'll give you opioids from like three to six when zero to five weed will handle it, yeah, weed. but they'll just automatically give it to you. And, and, you know, I've got friends that have a THC pill that they're trying to get like a legitimate FDA approved. It, they're going through it right now. It's just like, I don't know. That business is so. Yeah. It's the biggest criminal enterprise maybe in the history it, it really, of the world. It really is. Honest, it really quite is. All right. I want to change it up as we uh, please. That would be let's, let's, let's get a little let's get a little light here as we're as we're ending up the show so recently there's a movie by kenneth Branagh called belfast and it's about the upbringing of kenneth Branagh and how he fell in love with movies right it's not unlike uh of uh, the giuseppe tornatori's movie cinema, cinema has some similarities to that so a young boy in scotland so tell me when did you uh what what, what was the movies that kind of hit you as a kid that uh, powered you into wanting to become a filmmaker? Oh my God. Well, my grandmother used to take me to the movies at the weekend when uh, I was little, because she would watch us and she would, she'd love the movie. So I saw every black and white Western, bit, but it was Jaws really, because we lived in the North of Scotland. Our this, age, it's always Jaws or Star Wars, man. It was a tiny <laughs> little village in the North of Scotland that looked like Amity, <laughs> Harbor, Beach. I fucking didn't want to take a bath. That movie scared the shit. I, that made me realize the power because I ran out of that movie five times before I could even get through the film. That's awesome. And, and that did it for me. And, and I got a Super 8 camera young and home movies became films. I joined a band, started filming the band. You know, it just evolved in a really natural way. And, uh, and I, But I thought I was going to be a painter. And so I went to do a foundation course, which is one year before a degree. And all my oh, paintings my. were triptychs. And the painter, the teacher's like, you're fucking storyboarding, mate. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, these are sequences. And he kicked me off the course and I was broken hearted. I, I thought, you know, what have you done? And he was right. 
it, you know, it, they were, it was, yeah. Don't make movies, kid. Don't pay. Yeah, that was it. What about you, Kara? What was, what's the movie as a little girl growing up? Oh, uh, um, I, you know, I was weird. I, I was, uh, I grew up in Virginia, but I, you know, I went to an art magnet school. I was, I was a different, you know, I was the oddball, I guess you could say. You don't say. Didn't, didn't really fit in anywhere, you know. But um, yeah, my my mom, um, it, you know, my mom is a, an amazing woman, and she uh, loves art, and love, you know, has has always been, um, you know, has always told me to be true to myself and not to care what anybody else thinks. You but know? what film though? Come on, what's an early oh. film that really got you? You know, when you were a kid. Well. I never back up on my time. I remember seeing Nightmare on Elm Street in the theater, Roger. And I oh, yeah, that's on the theater. I was 15. I'm that, older than you, so... Yeah, that scared the shit out of me when I was a teenager, man. And The Exorcist, I mean, it took me a long time to see that movie. Hmm. That is a brilliant film. I mean, that truly changed me. I loved that shit as a kid, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that horror stuff as a kid. You couldn't give me enough horror, man. Texas Chainsaw, Night of the Living Dead. Shit, uh, I was, I was all that I shit up. Um... Dead Alive, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, speaking of uh, big filmmakers that go on to win, you know, but that's uh, Peter Jackson, right? Peter Jackson, yeah. Really Peter Jackson. What was the one he did before Dead Alive? Brain. Oh, uh, no! There's uh, there's meet the meet the feebles, meet and then uh, before that was with, with all the puppets, the art, the X-rated puppet movie, yeah. And, and uh, no, not brain damage. What the fuck is it? Remember it? No, but I've seen it. It's very disgusting. It's so bad. It's beautifully disgusting. Yeah. Um, it's it's so. I mean, Head. I remember seeing a Head in the theater. No, that's the movie that changed me a lot. Yeah. I was about fifteen, and 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 seeing Spike Lee, she's got a habit, had a big impact on me too. When My, I was about eighteen, I think for that's, me, that's like great one. John Waters was a big. Oh yeah. You know. Yep, Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble. Yeah, and it was a uh, bad taste. Was the movie you were we were looking for? Yeah. And, Jer and Jermush to me was was yeah. Jermush is a, just is a amazing filmmaker. Too. Yeah, Stranger in Paradise on a double bill with the movie yeah. Birdie by Alan Parker with yeah. Nick Cage and Matthew Modine. Great double bill. Um, Midnight so, on the train. Uh, Midnight. No, was it the uh, with the train with? Um, oh, Mystery Train. Mystery Train. <laughs> His third feature. They do a whole time slip in that. With the train horn, remember, and it it signifies the different timelines because they, they structure it in such a way that you think it's all happening linear. Yeah. And then you you hear the horn and you're like, okay, we're back there. I thought it was so clever, yeah. really great filmmaker. Jiffy Squid, that fast food seafood restaurant out there where you can get fast food squid, Jiffy Squid. <laughs> Tom Waits in the doing a radio announcement with Screaming Jay Hawkins and Sink Lee in the scene. Anyway. So, guys, I want to thank you for your time. I want to I want to remind everybody to go out and rent iChallenger. Uh, it's on uh, all the VODs out there. You can find it very easily, I, comma, Challenger, on your uh, search engine. It's uh, not going to break your bank, and you're going to have a wonderful, wonderful experience. Believe me. Um, thank you, uh, Paul, and thank you, Kara, very much. 
for being here. Boys, you want to want to say something? Go ahead, George. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the film. It was uh, it was interesting when we talked to Boone a couple of episodes back, and uh, my daughters are really getting into watching uh, The Mandalorian, and we got like six or seven episodes in, and we see Boone. I'm like. He was on the podcast. They were so excited. So <laughs> I'm looking forward. I mean, this doesn't sound like one uh, to watch with uh, six and an eight year olds, but uh, it'll be, I, I like uh, seeing get it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's funny guys, uh, you know, just in Robert closing is, amazing. <laughs> they were, they both wanted to watch Jaws so bad. And I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? So I turned it on and like maybe 20 minutes in the smaller girl, ran out and she oh, yeah. gave up the older girl stayed in but it's amazing that that film still like generation still, to uh, this day are still really into it so uh thanks for coming on and i'm looking forward to seeing the films and uh lastly uh your boy george's story is better than mine i used to be roommates with a guy back in williamsburg who was dating the lead actor who was playing boy george on stage in New York. So Boy George did a story of his life and the main right, right, actor right. was right. dating my roommate. And I mean, those guys could party really yeah. well into the night. I'd be getting up to go to work and they were just <laughs> coming home and it was two trains passing in the night, but uh, really enjoyed Boy George. So uh, I, that'll be cool to hear his music. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's great. Pete, thank you. you guys. Um, uh, absolute pleasure speaking with you. I will leave you with this. Um, when you were saying, when you're talking about inspiration and you were, it was based on an article, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Bob Geldof and his uh -huh. song, Tell Me Why I Don't Like Mondays. Yeah. And the origination of that song is because he read an article mm -hmm. in the paper and it was about a 12 year old girl who went to school and shot everybody up. Right. And when the judge asked her why she did it, she said, I don't like Mondays. And right. I, yeah. and I, I think that song is brilliant. I think Bob Gilda is brilliant. I think it's brilliant when you get inspiration from, you know, media sources and weird stories like that and things that you guys did to put that stuff together, I think is a, is pretty, pretty fucking cool. So yeah, uh, and to, thank you to us. When, when, when all the things come together, that's the sign that things are working, right? Yeah. Like a magic. yeah uh, it sounds like James is like this incredible, you know, piece of that puzzle too. Oh. I can't, I think I can't wait to see it, man. I really can't. He's can. amazing, man. Yeah. He really is. A, he's a great, great guy well thanks Very fellas well. thank much you. appreciated so i want to thank everybody out there for listening to this latest edition of five dollar buzz if you have any questions or comments ideas for guests or topics please email us at five dollar buzz that's f-i-v-e-d-o-l-l-a-r-b-u-z-z -Z at gmail.com and we'll get back to you as soon as we get done burying ourselves for 24 hours see if our goddamn luck will change thank you ladies and gentlemen peace out